You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on-demand at WERA.FM. We use curiosity as a medium to study how to make people think. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Sometimes when I'm looking for inspiration for future shows, I surf the web, digging into headlines that sometimes simply include the word curiosity. I get a lot of false positives, tons of celebrity profiles, and as you might imagine, plenty about the Mars rover, which is great, but not necessarily what I'm going for. Every once in a while, I get something really cool. And that's how I came upon today's guest. But first, some background. People, psychologists, philosophers, education theorists, have been thinking about curiosity for a long time. Jean Piaget, a Swiss psychologist born at the very end of the 19th century, viewed curiosity as a function of surprise, that incongruity between expectation and what actually happens. Too little or too much surprise, and we're not curious. We're either bored or kind of overwhelmed. Think of it as a bell-shaped curve, an inverted U filled with curiosity, maximized at that midpoint between none and too much. Call it the curiosity zone. So more recently, George Lowenstein at Carnegie Mellon described curiosity as being about cognitive incongruity, the knowledge gap between what we know and what we want to know. Much the same inverted U between knowing too much or nothing at all. The sweet spot is in the middle and wanting to know more. And then Lowenstein and Todd Cashton of George Mason went on to describe curiosity as a function of confidence. Again, the inverted U. On the one hand, overconfidence means you don't bother to be curious because you're just so sure of yourself. And on the other side, fear kills curiosity. So when you're thinking about peaking curiosity, what do you do given this array of theories? And what if you're trying to do that in a formal context, such as a museum? Well, back to my web surfing. Some time ago, I came across an article about a new class at Georgia Tech, Designing for Curiosity, that embraced design methods and something called user experience discovery in a partnership with the Children's Museum of Atlanta. I thought, woohoo, designing for curiosity? The class was the brainchild of Hyunju Oh, who has a joint appointment in the School of Industrial Design and the School of Interactive Computing at Georgia Tech. Pyunju works at the intersection of human-computer interaction and design. She studies and builds creative technologies, tools, kits, and methods that integrate everyday craft materials with computing. She works on digital craft, tangible interaction, and creative play. By encouraging deep engagement in playful environments, she's seeking to inspire children and the rest of us to actively explore our ideas while bridging the digital and physical worlds. So what did that all look like in this class? And what did they learn along the way? And what might the rest of us draw from their experience? 
as luck would have it, she's here for a conference in Alexandria. So she's able to join me in the studio today. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the intro, Lynn. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so this sounds like an amazing class, a lot of fun. Thank but you. also maybe deceptively demanding. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the class. Sure. So that class is really designed to cover the fundamental design methods to apply broad spectrum of interaction design. So we start from how to make observation mm. and how to um, design experience and go through the cycle of you know uh, running the study and revisit the, the concept and iteratively refine the idea. So it's really to go through the whole cycle of uh, the design project mm-hmm. and at the same time while doing that uh, we cover the background knowledge and study from art education and science and engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you approach the Children's Museum or did they approach you? I approached them first uh-huh. because I used to work with Children's Museum in Pittsburgh and in Bay Area in the, in the past for my research project. Uh-huh. And from those experiences, I learned that working with Children's Museum is a great opportunity to learn interaction design, basically. So I thought there would be great opportunities for my students. So I reached out to the Children's Museum first. Uh-huh. And, you know, Children's Museum in Atlanta are so welcomed me. Yeah, and they, they just wanted to support the class. It was not really for them, actually. Uh-huh. It was more for the class. Oh, interesting. You talked a little bit about sort of the goal of the class. Mm-hmm. So they're learning, the, the driving force on this is actually the design, and the curiosity mm-hmm. was sort of the application for your design work, right? Yeah. So how are you defining curiosity? That's, that's <laughs> really where we start the class, uh-huh. you know? That's um, where all the conversations start. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So I say that in, in the syllabus and in the class, we use curiosity as a medium mm. to study how to make people think, how to make people think and change actions and perhaps modify their decisions, etc. Right. So for me, uh, what curiosity is exactly is not the core of the class. It's more about how to make students to think about curiosity and start from their definition and then start thinking about how to make observation about the curiosity they defined, and then how to assess their observation about the curiosity they defined. So it didn't matter so much that you came up with a a kind of a unified, consistent theory of curiosity within the class. I introduced multiple (laughs) relevant theories and backgrounds, but... I really highlighted in the class that it it's not really important. This class is not for defining one concept of curiosity. Yeah. And I really want them to think about their definition and what made them curious and so that that based on their experience, how they would define curiosity. Mm. So can you give some examples of 
how they thought about curiosity and then approached it? Yeah, sure. For instance, at the beginning, many students tend to approach it a bit more abstract way. Mm. So, for instance, they would say, oh, I like to play games. I'm curious about uh, these kind of, you know, mobile games nowadays. I'm curious about, you know, these things. And then I ask them, why are you curious about them? And then they talk about, oh, because it's related to ABC topics. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them, now you played it, you want to play more? (laughs) Um, Oh, sure. So now you want you played it, you wanted to play it again. Is it how you define curiosity when we want to do certain things and repeat that? Is it how you define curiosity? Then they kind of stop responding uh. and think back. And you know, that's kind of the common Oh, so it's a really about. interesting iterative and I mean you're sort of testing they're testing their theories moment to moment with their own mm-hmm. experience of what would would I describe what I just said when I'm living it? Does that actually look like curiosity? That's how they're approaching it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think that's really important to make them think, make the mm-hmm. students think. How can I put that? In order to approach um, designing things to make people think, mm-hmm. they need to think about thinking. They need to think about how they think, yeah. right? And that other people may think differently. Exactly. Right? So yeah. that really, that process actively make them reflect their thinking processes. Yeah, yeah. And then you had them assess whether or not they were successful in mm-hmm. eliciting curiosity, which means that they were each coming up with different ways of assessing that, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. So we before we worked on the museum project, we had the... Um, month-long project first. Mm. So that's where they, uh, while they're covering the background knowledge, they really go through the first um, design process Mm -hmm. and the practice. So that's where we, for instance, covered uh, one design, one observation method called like bridging experiment. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with bridging experiment? No, tell us about bridging experiment. So bridging experiment is literally experiment uh, commonly used in sociology or social psychology as far as you know so it's breaking the norm to observe what we so invisible norms in, in the society for instance oh, okay so for instance like a walking path so which direction we walk? A lot of Western society, we walk to the right side. Mm-hmm. But is, is there a policy about it? Is there a law about it? No, really, mm-hmm. right? But when we start like blocking the way, how we kind of uh, make a decisions about it and where people kind of get confused about it, it's kind of norms. Uh. So that's where when we kind of disturb the, the norm, we can kind of clarify what what was there what was the norm right. so they start from there and make observation about it and then they think up think about what kind of design application they can apply using that norms uh-huh uh-huh and once one team that time worked on the the walking direction so they wanted they made the observation about how students in the campus while they are busy, how they are really stick with the walking right side. 
and then they put some signages to kind of change the walking walking uh. direction, and it didn't work out. <laughs> so, so they could see that oh, uh. it's quite really. We kind of stick with that the norm they used to do. Right. So they started right. from there, and then throughout their design uh, application project, they made a kind of Pac-Man figure. Oh, okay. And then use the bubble wrap uh-huh. and cut them as a kind of circular shape, just like uh, you know the dots the Pac-Man mm-hmm. eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they kind of put that bubble wrap uh, dots uh, here and there to make a walking path. <laughs> and that made people change the walking direction because they want to kind of step on that. Oh, so they introduced. So this goes a place I want our conversation to go. They introduced play into mm-hmm. this. They made it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, to change behavior. And when they kind of uh, observe how how people who didn't change the their walking behaviors start to change the behaviors and look look around. Because they don't know what's going on, right? And then they kind of repeat the process, like going through the, you know, following the what's it, the bubble wrap based uh-huh. the walking pass. They kind of so consider that's successful case. Oh, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, trial and error, a sort of narrowing, kind of focusing in. So that then helped them frame what they would then take in as they're thinking at the with the Children's Museum. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah. it was more like a warm-up exercise. Uh-huh. And then from there, when we started working with the museum, it's more specifically designed audience, mm-hmm. right? right? And children is, as you know, working with the children is quite demanding. Uh-huh. They're a tough audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we don't. The, the thing is, we don't even need to ask them whether or not they liked it. It's so obvious uh-huh. uh, when they come. They if they don't like it, they don't even go close. Right. And when they experience while they're experiencing it, if they don't like it, they just leave. Simply, they just leave. So that's one measure, right? Do they stick around? Uh, yeah, they they really <laughs> didn't even need to prepare a survey or something. They just stay there, <laughs> and yeah, they. They see the, you know, hurting uh-huh. <laughs> process. Uh-huh. And the other thing is, you know, children are often, actually most of times, quite violent. Mm. So <laughs> their installation, no matter what it's about, uh, needs to be sturdy. Right. It needs to be really durable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then it really so, doesn't go well. <laughs> so were you at, were you measuring for that? That wasn't part of the curiosity necessarily, was it? But but what you were designing needed to be able to withstand their exploration. So making things robust is not, you know, the core of what we are doing. Mm-hmm. But in order to stay there mm-hmm. and attract people and interact with them, it needs to <laughs> it needs to survive. Right. <laughs> so right. to do so, they need to figure out you know how how they need to they need to set up to make it sturdy enough. Yeah. So how else were your students measuring whether they were successful in designing for curiosity? A lot of them ended up observing people how long they stayed mm-hmm. and how many children stayed there long enough and revisit that exhibition. Mm. Mm-hmm. So while they're, you know, playing around, they could experience it and leave and come back, you know. Uh, uh, it's kind of how they argued it was successful. Right. Right. Well, I could see that because if you come back to something 
then there's something about that that has stayed with you that feels unresolved, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or, that, or it was just fun and you want to do it some more. Maybe that's not necessarily curiosity. But but when I invited you into this conversation, mm-hmm. you offered this article about humans as playful creatures, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which gave me a great lens into <laughs> kind of your likely thinking about this. So talk about how play fits into our ideas of curiosity or designing for curiosity. I mean, tell us more about that. So um, play gives safe net. Uh-huh. So uh, when we make people, um, you know, when we invite people to the you know, play-free environment, they become willing to take risk. Mm. So they become more active in exploring things around them. Mm. So they mm-hmm. that's the basic approach in a lot of children's museums. They want to make people curious about the content. And the first thing they want to think about is how to make them playful enough. Yeah. So that children can stick with it and, you know, try and tinker around perhaps in the maker spaces, for instance. And then make questions about those supposed to be. Yeah. So that's interesting because I think I think that's exactly right. That play because it makes it puts risk into a low stakes category in our minds, mm-hmm. unless you're like a professional athlete, I guess. But but for the rest of us to play is to let go of our fixation mm-hmm. on, you know, making mistakes or, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So it does create this space for more curiosity, for willingness to admit, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know about this or I don't know what it's going to do, mm-hmm. and then kind of come at it with curiosity. Well, let me find out. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe I'll try that again. <laughs> and, you know, in the in the article that you gave me, and I'll, I'll post it on my website because I thought yeah, it was please. a great – I thought it was a great – well, it was really helpful to me in thinking about this conversation. But mm-hmm. Bill Graver, the author, says, you know, it comes down to pleasure before performance, engagement before clarity. Mm-hmm. So designing for curiosity and play is really different than designing for instruction, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think designing for instructions takes a lot of steps, mm. a lot of guidelines and assessment, perhaps. Designing for curiosity, in my mind, from the moment talking about curiosity, we include a lot of exploratory components. Mm. Mm-hmm. And thinking of the exploratory components, which entails creativity space, regardless of the difference across the fields, you know, we talk about art and design, you know, science and engineering, perhaps. Regardless of those discipline differences, when we talk about creativity, that entails somehow common grounds across all of them. Mm. It includes things related to um, inventiveness, mm-hmm. imagination, and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And and this for me, what exactly is inventiveness? What exactly is curiosity, the, the borderline? is less important. For me, a more important thing is how we can design things to invite more people to this common grounds. Mm. And exploration is 
it should be part of uh, one approach, I think. Wow. So that really that really goes towards one of the questions I had, which what what is it that the rest of us can extract from your lessons? And it is it is that of finding the common ground through yeah. this playful curiosity that's different than there are things one must do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thank you. Nice. You know, I think a lot of more and more the word requires you know assessment mm-hmm. improvement and this in my word research word we need to prove things but it makes me think in a way what to prove is <laughs> yeah. more important yeah yeah and even before getting there even before we get to the point of what to prove how to get to what mm-hmm. is more important and more exciting for me. Yeah, so. yeah. So how do you design for curiosity in your own life? Mm, I start more from myself. Mm-hmm. I start more from my interest because I learned through my experience that I'm not the only one in many cases. Oh, uh, yeah. So a lot of my um, research project includes paper and everyday materials Uh uh and the power of those materials is really we can fail things you know we can just draw things on paper and um you know and recycle them and just bring another one it's there's very low cost to take it yeah and i know it's not just me when I work with children, students, and, and adults even, even very young children, the whole point is regardless of their actual skill set, almost everyone thinks they can work with paper, for instance. Mm. They can work with cardboard, for instance, you know? And for me, that's really critical aspect because that makes huge difference when they start getting into the learning process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because that carries forward the idea of play and that the, the risk and the cost of trying are low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like it because this kind of empowerment matters, especially for <laughs> people like me, introvert. Uh-huh. And uh, in the tech world, we say traditionally... Uh, less represented people, including um, gender-wise women, mm-hmm. you know, minority perhaps. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So before I let you go, I want to invite you to play with me and my big jar of wannabe analogies. Oh, this is and the jar. This is it. This is it. <laughs> yep. Okay. Whew. So in this jar are slips of paper with random words. You mm-hmm. take one. I'll take one. One for my audience. And you know how this works. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on the slip of paper. And you can go first or I'll go. What would you like? Hmm. I can go first. Okay. Sure. Let me try. Um, Curiosity is swimming. Oh, okay. How is curiosity like swimming? (laughs) Because um, it's kind of... Um, hovering around, oh, yeah. um, 
in a setting like water, perhaps. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we figure out the direction on the process. Oh, nice, nice. That immersive thing. I mm-hmm. like that. I like that. So we obviously have a water theme going. Mine is ice cubes. Yeah. <laughs> How is curiosity like ice cubes? Um, hmm. Well, uh, ice cubes are kind of a cool thing because their state is um, is 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 kind of temperature specific. Like an ice cube only exists under certain conditions, and otherwise mm-hmm. it's just water. Mm-hmm. And and I think curiosity. You know, there's both state and trait curiosity, but it changes its form, and it's mm. very fluid. So ice cubes go from, you know, a solid thing, and they melt. They become fluid. So There we go. I think that's how curiosity is like ice cubes. And audience, um, <laughs> yours is camping. How is curiosity like camping? Let me know. Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> hashtag analogy. How is curiosity like camping? Well, Hwinju, thank you so much for this. This has really been delightful. Thanks, Lynn. Happy to join this doll. <laughs> Thanks for having me today. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great programs here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, or on my website at choosetobecurious.com. Hope you follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. And if you would, leave a comment and a rating that helps other people find us. Don't forget to send us your camping analogy, hashtag analogy. Special thanks to my guest, Hunju Oh. Links to her work, which, by the way, is a lot of fun. Check out her paper machines all that on my website thanks to to sean ballack for our theme music and to nursery for cradle rock and blue dot sessions so how might you add a little more play to your day go ahead try designing your day for curiosity see what you come up with and keep me posted i hope you'll join me again next time and until then choose to be curious Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.